is Bloomberg Surveillance. There's not much that really unites the BRICS apart from their size. They're, they're huge, not just in terms of their GDP, but in terms of their population. We're still underweight. We're not convinced that the risk-reward trade-off is all that attractive in EM. After the Fed has run below its 2% target for very, very many years, it shouldn't worry about overshooting a little bit even. Bloomberg Surveillance, your link to the world of economics, finance, and investment on Bloomberg Radio. Good morning, everyone. Bloomberg Surveillance, Michael McKee and Tom Keene. Mr. McKee, off, off, off this week. Barry Ritholtz in uh, to give great assistance. Thrilled to have Barry Ritholtz, Masters in Business, is his show, and also his podcast out on iTunes uh, as well as, as we're doing that. You can look to iTunes for follow-ups on all the good interviews, including on Algeria of the uh, OECD. And we just heard from Chuck Todd uh, as well. Bloomberg Surveillance this morning, this busy day for economics. Bloomberg Surveillance brought to you by Cohn Resnick Accounting Tax Advisory. Trust Cohn Resnick for the strategy, the insight your business needs to move forward. Find out what Cohn Resnick thinks. <laughs> Sign up for insights. Do that at ConeResnick.com. C-O-H-N-R-E-Z-N-I-C-K, Cohn Resnick. Uh, dot com. We're thrilled to bring the Yakum Fells of PIMCO for years uh, with Morgan Stanley with a global view, uh, but also focusing, of course, on a U.S. Uh, view as well. Yakum, explain to us your three D's. It's a core foundation to your thinking on uh, global markets. You've got calmer seas. I understand that. China. Commodity Central Bank, but there's some D's as well. What is, what is a D besides D as in David? Well, Tom, there's actually no D's in <laughs> in my thinking. Um, I think other people are using the three D's of debt, deleveraging, deflation. Um, but I'm, I'm rather focusing on what I call the three B's, the triple B economic expansion where growth is bumpy, below par, and brittle. I think that's a good description of what's been going on right. for the past seven or eight years. Is that linked to the Ds, though? Are well, the it Ds is, linked to the Ds? They, they, they are linked to the Ds because one reason why growth is bumpy, below par, and brittle is the deleveraging that has been going mm. on since the financial crisis, right? And the deleveraging is the consequence of the buildup in debt that we had in the previous cycle. Um, and it's also a consequence of the deflationary pressures that we've, we've seen. So, yes, um, all these acronyms and alliterations are linked. Quite, fasc- quite, quite fascinating. When you look at the three Cs you referred to, China, Commodities, and Central Bank, I know they're all interrelated, but which of the three Cs uh, is the most significant? Is it the central banks driving what's taking place in currencies on yet another C, and commodities, or is it the state of China's economy that's the key driver? Well, I think it's been changing over time. So for many years, I think central banks were the main driver, right? They, they kept the system afloat. They kept growth going. They prevented outright deflation. But I think what's happened over the past year or so is that uh, another C, China, has become the dominating force. And I, w- I would go as far as saying China, through its FX policy, now has a major impact on, uh, on U.S. monetary policy. So you could argue U.S. monetary policy <clears throat> is now to a significant extent made in China. And that's because China has again and again reacted to hawkish talk from the Fed or the rate hike in December 
by allowing more currency depreciation. And that has then sent shockwaves through the financial system. It has led to a tightening of financial conditions. And that meant the Fed had to push out rate hikes uh, first uh, back in September and now again in March. I look, Joachim, at where we are. And once again, it's a first quarter growth disappointment. Nobody's going to blame cold weather across America. That's been true across all of the global economy as well. What attributes are you looking for that will signal the growth optimism that we're clearly going to hear from Chair Yellen today? What are the things you or she will look for to signal a better growth ahead? Well, I think there are two things. The the first thing is manufacturing globally has been in a mild recession for the past year or so. You could see that in most of the purchasing managers' indices being below 50, including the U.S. ISM. But I think there are some signs, some early signs, that manufacturing is rebounding, including in the U.S. Uh, Let's see what the ISM on Friday brings, but... You know, our expectation is that we bounce back above 50. So that's the first thing. So less of a drag from manufacturing. Second, and I think that's what Janet Yellen is really focusing on, is uh, whether or not uh, the the job growth that has been quite strong in the U.S. will continue. She is looking for a further erosion of slack in the labor market. I think that's a key driver for the Fed's outlook for moderate growth and also for some increase in underlying inflation. So one of the headlines I've been reading now for about three years has been the United States is on the verge of slipping into a recession. But based on your most recent report, I don't get the sense that you're in that camp. That's right. I'm not in the recession camp. Um, haven't been uh, in there for quite some time. The reason is that typically recessions happen when you have a combination of imbalances building up in the economy and fairly aggressive Fed tightening or central bank tightening. But we're seeing none of these imbalances in the economy. There is no overconsumption. If anything, the U.S. consumer, which is enjoying decent income growth, has been gradually increasing her savings rate. Second, there's no, there hasn't been any overinvestment like we had it in the late 90s boom, which then led to a yeah. correction and a recession. We don't see the overheating in the labor market, and we don't see the overkill from monetary policy. And that's why I think there's, we're in a modest growth environment. Growth is bumpy, brittle, and below par, but we are not facing the significant risk of recession anytime soon. If you're just joining us from PIMCO, Jakob Fels. Uh, Dr. Fels, how do you fold trade into this? There's been a number of charts. Zero Hedge had a great chart out the other day. On the, uh, I'm, I'm going to use this word. You can correct me if I'm wrong. The collapse of world trade. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, I think that's a fair statement. I mean, we all got used to a situation where global trade was expanding at at least twice the pace of global GDP over the past 20 years or so, but that's history. So what's happened is global trade growth has collapsed. It it actually fell below the growth rate of global GDP over the past year. We're now back to about the growth rate of global GDP. What this tells me is that the days when global supply chains were widening when companies were outsourcing production of inputs, those days are long over. 
And I think the main driver or the main force behind the slowdown in global trade growth is that China has become much, much better um, and much more sophisticated in producing its own inputs. So you've had a collapse of imports into China. This is not only commodities, but this is also intermediate goods, which they used to import, capital goods, which they used to import, no longer. They now know how to do it themselves. So this is why for the next few years, I would expect global trade to expand only at the pace of global GDP growth. That, that's a really uh, interesting discussion in, in China. What about what's happening in Japan? We've seen retail sales slow. We've seen all manner of, of central banking activity. And now we're seeing the threat of the VAT tax go up by a not insubstantial amount next year. Are, are we ever going to see real growth out of Japan in, in our lifetimes? Well, it depends on what, what kind of growth you're looking at. If you look at overall GDP growth, look, it's very difficult to produce significantly positive GDP growth in a country where the population and the labor force is shrinking. So I think what we should look at is per capita GDP growth. And on that measure, Japan is actually looking quite good over the past 10 years or so. Japan has had about the same growth in per capita GDP growth as the U.S. has had. So, so, so I think that's the relevant measure. Mm-hmm. Looking at overall GDP growth in a, in, a sh- in a country with shrinking population, I think there we have to get used to zero to maybe right. half a point of growth. Within your call of 2.8 to 2.5 down to 2.0 global GDP, does that give you a new global terminal value where everything gets reset lower? Yeah, I think everything gets reset lower, uh, real growth, inflation, and importantly, also interest rates. And here at PIMCO, we've been talking about the new neutral for a couple of years, which describes a world where the neutral interest rate or the terminal interest rate in this cycle is much, much lower or will be much, much lower than in previous cycles. And I think everything you are seeing, low nominal GDP growth, plenty of headwinds from the global savings glut and excessive global savings over investment. Mm-hmm. All of that argues for a much well, lower terminal rate. Let's come back. Jakob falls with us with PIMCO. Just thrilled that he's joined us for a generous amount of time this morning. We will continue with Jakob Fels on the American economy. Futures are negative five, down futures negative 54. Yields in two basis points, 1.86. And now the news in New York. Here's Michael Barr. Tom, Barry, thank you very much. A hijacking incident involving an Egypt airplane is over. According to a Cypriot foreign minister, the lone hijacker was arrested and the seven remaining people who were on the plane got out of the Airbus 320. Egypt Air Flight 181 with about 55 passengers on board was heading from Alexandria to Cairo when a hijacker forced the pilot to land in Cyprus. One of the largest hospital chains in the Washington area, the MedStar system, remains crippled by a virus that shut down its computers. Time is ebbing away on a budget deal for Governor Andrew Cuomo and New York State lawmakers. They're trying to find a compromise on several issues, including minimum wage and paid family leave. 
Lawmakers hope to have a new budget in place by the start of the new fiscal year on Friday. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by our 2,400 journalists and more than 150 news bureaus from around the world. I'm Michael Barr. Tom? Michael Barr, thanks so much. Appreciate that. Euro 111.96 flat, the yen 113.57. Barry Ritholtz in for Michael McKee. I'm Tom Keen with us, Yakum Fells. Stay with us on the American Economy next. Business news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. U.S. stock index futures lower this morning. Let's go to the first word breaking news desk for today's morning call. Here's Bill Maloney. Good morning, Bill. Good morning, Karen. Futures have added to their losses since the last time we spoke. Dow futures currently lower by 54 points. SBs dropped five. And Nasdaq futures declined by 7. The U.S. 10 yield at 1.86%. And European markets are trading mixed this morning. On the U.S. economic front at 10 o'clock, consumer confidence. At 1220, Fed Yellen speaks at the Economic Club of New York. And after the Bellis night, Cinex missed. And regarding earnings this morning, home builder Lennar beat. In Dill News, Origin pulled its $17 a share offer for Affymetrix. And finally, some of your Wall Street upgrades and downgrades. At Barclays, eBay cut to underweight. LinkedIn cut to equal weight. At Citigroup, Borg Warner and Skyworks cut to neutral. Amberell raised to overweight at Morgan Stanley. Micron cut to underperform at Needham. And Universal Health upgraded to outperform over at Wells Fargo. Live from the first of breaking news desk, I'm Bill Maloney. Karen? All right, thanks, Bill. And to hear live breaking news over your Bloomberg type Squawk Go on your terminal. That's S-Q-U-A-W-K Go. And that's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Barry. Karen, uh, thanks so much. Bloomberg Surveillance this morning brought to you by Invesco. To the day's headlines, have you searching for more investment views? Invesco's experts can help. Find out the latest thought leadership at the Invesco blog. Visit Invesco.com slash U.S. To subscribe, Barry Ritholtz on Tom Keen, Bloomberg Savannah, Mr. McKeoff, Yakum Fells uh, with us with PIMCO. Yakum, I am told that CapEx investment by corporations in America is actually pretty good. There's a lot of people saying we need investment to create jobs. Maybe that investment's going abroad. Is there a new globalization now? Well, I think that's been the story for the past 10, 15 years. U.S. companies have invested a lot. The multinationals have invested a lot, but mostly abroad. Some of that has been coming back in the past several years, and that was a reflection of the weak dollar that we had for many years and also lower energy prices in in the U.S. due to the shale revolution. So if you look outside of the energy sector, where over the past one or two years, of course, CapEx has has fallen dramatically, but outside of the energy sector, CapEx is holding up quite well in the U.S. Quite quite interesting. What about the overall share buyback versus dividend issue that we keep seeing uh, mentioned alongside um, the CapEx question? Do you, does PIMCO have any preference when it comes to whether they'd rather see more money find its way into dividends or keep the financial engineering going and the level of buybacks continuing near near a record pace? Well, we don't have any preference per se on 
what companies should be doing with, with that money. I mean, I look at it from my economist's perch, and what I'm seeing is that, as you say, Barry, there's a lot of financial engineering going on. I think from an economic perspective, what you would rather like to see is that companies use more of the cash they have on their balance sheet or that they're using for either stock buybacks or dividend payouts um, to increase investment further. Because if you look at it from a global perspective, even though U.S. CapEx is not that bad, there is still a lack of investment in the world as a whole. Uh, we have an excessive desired saving over desired investment. That helps to explain why aggregate demand is so weak, why inflation is below target, why interest rates are so low. So I think from an economic perspective, you would rather want to see companies using more of the cash for investment in the real economy. So talking about the real economy, we just had the Secretary General of the OECD on, and we were discussing infrastructure spending around the world, and it seems like the United States is lagging much of Asia and, and almost all of uh, Europe in terms of our commitment to things like our highway system, our rail system, our electrical grid. Uh, what does the United States need to do in terms of bringing its infrastructure up to a competitive level level with the rest of the world? Well, I think that's, that's an important theme. Uh, people like Larry Summers have been talking about this for ages, that there is a need for more infrastructure investment in the U.S. Uh, but, of course, in the end, the government plays an important role in infrastructure mm. investment. And as we all know, there is gridlock. There has been gridlock in Washington for a long time. Let's see whether that changes after the presidential election. I'm not very hopeful that we will see a boost to a, a large boost to U.S. infrastructure investment over the next few years. I, I, this has a, a real general question. I guess it's my dumb question of the week, and you get it, Jakob. With your with your wonderful German education as well, the basic U.S. theme and tone and culture is we're broke. Is the United States broke? I don't buy it. Well, if the U.S. is broke, then everybody else is even more broke, right? <laughs> I no, mean, but yes, the you. Is we can't we can't fix 58th Street in any city. It happens to be in New York, but our 59th Street. But our, is the the tone is we're broke and we can't do anything. Where did that come from? Well, I think it's an illusion. I mean, it's true that debt to GDP. If you look at general government debt, which includes all levels of government, federal, state, and local, federal uh, uh, general government debt to GDP is 100% in the U.S. roughly, right? So that sounds high. It's higher than in in uh, in the it's been in the past, but in international comparison, that's still low. I mean, Japan is at 245% debt to GDP ratio, and it's not broke. JGB yields trade at negative levels up to the 10-year point in the curve. So if you can borrow at low nominal and even negative real interest rates, and the U.S. government can do that, yeah. then it's, I, I, I don't think this country is broke. And also, I think it's difficult to imagine that you cannot find investment out there, and we've talked about infrastructure investment, that will bring higher returns right. than the cost of borrowing. Just fabulous. Jakob Fels, thank you so much for your time this morning. He is with uh, PIMCO. What a wonderful setup to the radio coverage we will have today. Bloomberg Radio 
at 12 noon of Janet Yellen. Barry, what will you listen for from uh, Chair Yellen? You know, anything unexpected. We we know what the speech is going to say. We know she's going to talk about growth being uh, in the sweet spot, that we don't really see a lot of inflation, and... You know, one or two more raises the rest of the year, and that's pretty much it. I'm going to listen for the questions of Alan Blinder and Dean Hubbard of Columbia as well. I think they will test her uh, thinking on the American economy. Surveillance brought to you by your Mercedes-Benz Tri-State dealer. No matter what the weather, Mercedes-Benz 4MATIC all-wheel drive brings peace of mind and driving confidence. Visit your Mercedes-Benz Tri-State dealer for a test drive today.